Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. When others treat your fries as an afterthought, all you're left with are cold, soggy fries. That's why Wendy's new fries are ones you won't forget. Guaranteed to be hot and crispy, or we'll replace them. We're talking natural cut skin on fries, perfectly seasoned with a hint of sea salt. In fact, they're even preferred almost two to one over McDonald's. These are fries so hot and crispy, they beg a new question. What would you like with your fries? Try them today, only at Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's, taste preference based on a national taste test by an independent research company. Welcome to the Browns Wire Podcast. This is your host, Josh Keatley. With me is always Adam Moore. And this week we have a special guest. Uh, I've it's been a couple we've we've tried to get him on the last couple weeks, but they've been struggling due to uh, some technical difficulties here and there. But we got uh, pro football and college football. I'm gonna go ahead and call him a historian, Bill Carroll. How you doing, Bill? It is an honor, a privilege, and a pleasure. I, I knew that someday we'd be able to make this happen. So I can now take this off my bucket list. That's right. That's right. We're excited to have you. I keep, I t- I keep telling Adam about you. Donovan was on the show, and we were talking about small school guys. And Adam said, uh, I can't believe – Adam said something along the lines of he couldn't believe how many small school guys we knew. And I said, dude, you haven't – you've got to talk to Bill. I mean, we were uh, – it's just – it's an, I mean, you watch you watch NEIA football, don't you? Uh, I usually stick to about two or three conferences, but yes, because – Frankly, there's only about three or four guys who even should get into a camp, but you have to find those guys. Uh, so, so yes, I, there's about three or four NAA conferences, including one that's very close to me, and there's a kid named Christian Hogan a couple years ago. He got drafted, as you might remember, from Marion. So there's always, you know, a few guys, uh, but you got to find them. You know, they don't get much club, so you got to dig them up. How do you even do that? How do you how do you start that process? Like for me, like for instance, I I found a wide receiver from Weber State that I'm gonna watch because he was had a very statistically impressive season. He was an All American, all that. How did how does that process start for you? Because like I said, you I mean you watch thousands of players a year. It seems like. So here's how it started originally. So I come from a place where. I would see Wayne and Mary football. My mom got her law degree from Marshall Wiff. I attempted to play football at Norfolk State back when I was in the CIAA, and we started our transition to school. I uh, started transition from uh, Division II to FCS while I was there. And so I've always had a lot of respect, first of all, for how much talent is there. There's so many really good football players who end up playing at the small school level for a variety of reasons. Some of them are guys that, they were late bloomers. Some of them were guys who it was grade stuff. Sometimes they really just went to a high school program that just wasn't all that good or a small high school. And some of them are from big high schools where they had teammates who ended up at Florida State or in it, whatever. And you look at the tape, it's like, why is this guy getting to go to Florida State and this guy's going to Southern Miss and this guy ends up going to Evangel, you know, which is an NAI school in Tennessee. It happens. Um, I remember, the evaluation process 
projecting what someone who's 15, 16, 17 years old, what they'll be at 2021 or 22 is, well, let's be honest, inherently flawed because those people are changing mentally and physically so much in that four or five year period. A study that's been done, a sort of longitudinal study of the average NFL quarterback, do you know how many stars, only the whole star rating system, the average starting quarterback in the NFL has, Josh? I have no idea. Resume? I have 2. no 2.5 idea. 2.5 stars, just over two and a half stars. Wow. There's only been a couple of five stars that even made it. Matt, Matt Stafford is the most successful five-star quarterback in history. Look at the best quarterback in the NFL. Okay, Roethlisberger was a three. Um, uh, John Brady, a two. Breeze, a two. Um, who else would you call? Uh, uh, okay, uh, I think a three or a four from a home. Yeah. A three or a four from a home. A three or a four, depending which which which. Uh, scouting service for Lamar Jackson. Uh, Wentz was a two or a three. Um, I mean, Josh well, Allen's probably well, up there too, right? Josh Allen was a two, two star. Yeah, I believe, I believe Herbert was from this past year. I believe he was the lowest rated guy. I mean, the fact is that five star quarterbacks rarely really pan out. I mean, where's Mark Sanchez right now? Where's Ryan Perilou? Uh Colt McCoy. I mean, it seems like there's a long list of five star quarterbacks, but what happened? So it's a very – now, first of all, I want, to be, I want to be clear and honest. Now, it to be fair, there's many more two- and three-stars than there are five-stars, right? There's four- and five-stars are simply more rare, so it skews a little bit. But it's hard to do this. So, first of all, to all my high school recruiting people and my friends who are directors recruiting at, at college level, God bless you guys. I mean, I have enough trouble figuring out what 21 to 18-year-olds are going to be in three or four years. I, I, it, the nine boggles when I think about looking at a, a 15 or 16-year-old and trying to protect what they're going to be. So that's, that's one thing I'm going to point out, that a lot of guys who are really terrific football players become sometimes zero stars at one stars until they end up at small schools. So this kid that, you know, becomes an utter monster, I mean, Trey Lance, who everybody's now falling in love with, was a two or a three, a three-star on most, most people's um, um, recruiting boards or whatever, he might, he's now in the fight to be the first quarterback taken. Now, he might not even declare, but if he does, he'll be in the fight to be the first quarterback taken. So it is inherently a flawed process, right? I mean, it's a flawed process for us trying to do it from the college level. It's an even more flawed process for those trying to project about what guys are in high school. So loads of talented players fall through cracks. That's, that's the first thing. And frankly, they're the guys that go underrated, un, underloved, right? So... Who needs? I remember writing this back when I was working with our website, Consensus Draft Services. Uh, Steve Martin, who had found the site, had brought me on as a staffer. I heard there was a guy posting in the forums. He's like, "Who are you?" Like he thought I was like somebody lurking around, you know, scoping them out or something. And he actually thought I was someone else. He thought I was somebody sort of, you know, because he he was like, "Okay, why do you know this stuff?" And I was like, "No, I'm just a you know just a dude." And so he eventually offered me a staff position, and. Uh, and so I remember saying, why should we be the 400th website to write another article about Jim Tebow? Why don't we be the first art- website to write an article about Wyatt Geyer, right, who was a Division three defensive end who was tearing it up? Like, why, why don't we do what everyone else isn't doing? So, so that's sort of where it started. And so we started interviewing guys like Chris Gokong from San Luis Obispo and, you know, a whole long list of others. 
and develop relations with, with them, right? Ricky Santos and, and David Ball at, at New Hampshire back when, um, when Chip Kelly was there and a, a bunch of other kids. I mean, a long list. And some of them I got to know fairly well. And now some of those guys are coaching. Uh, some of the big schools on level, some of the small school level. So the good news is that if you do this long enough, players that you knew originally as players become ADs eventually. If I keep doing this long enough, I'll I wish you was <laughs> I've scouted as an AD. But lots of kids I've scouted and are, are now coaches, offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators. Um, I don't know if I have a head coach. Well, I mean, what's like Mike Tomlin? Uh, who I saw in high school. I saw him at Denby High, and then later I saw him at William Mary. I wasn't really so much scouting him as his teammate Darren Sharper. But you know, so so as this happens, if you have relationships and you say. I just want to say, who's good in your conference, right? If I'm talking to somebody in the GLIAC uh, who I scouted before and say, who's good in your conference, and say, oh, this kid at Ashland is a pro kid. He's, you know, he's only here because his high school team went three and three and eight, you know, whatever. <laughs> and you know, nobody paid attention because his team sucks, but he's a monster. So these things happen all the time. Uh, so that's, that's sort of how it got there with me. That's crazy. I, and uh, it makes sense, too, because I remember when I first started writing with uh, Jeff on DetroitLionsDraft.com, and I didn't really know what I was doing. And he told me to write about Dustin Vaughn, the quarterback from, like, West Texas A&M. Back yeah. in 2000. And I was like, why am I writing about such a small school guy? And he said the exact same thing you did. He's like, well, you're going to be the only one that's writing about him. So, But that makes a lot of sense. But let's yeah. go ahead and uh, we'll, dr- we'll yeah. dive into some Brown stuff for you. Um, yeah. I- Obviously, we talked about your ex- expansive knowledge on small school football. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you, because the Browns signed 15 undrafted free agents. And Adam and yeah. I kind of did a cursory review. Obviously, you know, there's a couple big names that they did sign from a couple larger schools. But, you know, most of these guys come from smaller, un, un you know, unknown schools. So who are some guys that you like from this Browns undrafted free agent class? Well, well first of all, congratulations on this UDFA class. Now, it was... <laughs> Circling around A.J. Green, uh, the, the corner A.J. Green, and he has a shot. But I don't think he's the best, frankly, of your undrafted free agents. It's a, it's a really nice group. Uh, George Urbina, the Sacramento State D.E., who probably doesn't have to stand up and play linebacker, but if he can figure out how to be a semi-linebacker, I mean, you shouldn't mess around too much with trying to make him do a real linebacker. He's a very polished and powerful pass rusher, sort of in the – Poor man's trail sucks type. Like he's um he's not one of those real super bendy. He's really just sort of a, a guy with a really strong upper body and very efficient, right? Violent and efficient pass rusher. Not super bendy, not super fast, but he attacks and breaks down offensive linemen's uh, angles and attacks and breaks down their leverage, gets them off balance and just tosses them aside, even they outweigh them by 60, 70 pounds. So I won't be shocked if he at least makes your practice squad. He might make your team. I love Vinny LeMay. Uh, the only reason he was here to be undrafted is he did not run well. Uh, he's a very shifty and powerful but not super fast short yardage type. He'll probably become sort of your short yardage specialist, but he's a tough guy, really good vision, really good balance. Uh, takes, he never goes down on the first hit. Terrific, terrific pick up as an undrafted agent. And then I was excited about Tony Brown. But you guys have a lot of really good wide receivers. Uh, Tony Brown, that I led to the contributor special teams, which I don't think will be an issue. I, he, uh, his first couple of years at, at Colorado is really what he did before he became sort of a – or initially at Colorado, it's what he did before he became a bigger part of the passing game. Jamarcus Bradley is a, another guy who I think has a shot. Uh, but once again, it's just a numbers game. He may end up 
being picked up by somebody else just because you got so many wide receivers. Uh, and I want to talk a little bit about the, the sort of jewel in the crown. Uh, Javante Moffitt is a big, scary butt kicker of a safety. Now, some people think he should put on, you know, five, six pounds and be one of those, you know, new age mini linebackers that are not all the rage in the NFL. And he probably could do that. I mean, he's, he's best in the box anyway. But if you haven't checked out Javante Moffitt, Please do so. First of all, Middle Tennessee State seems to know what, it, what, it, what they're doing in terms of developing defensive backs. Look at the defensive backs they've put in the NFL, the best of which being Kevin Bayard, but this guy is an absolute beast. Not quite the athlete that Kevin Bayard is, but who that is, but he is a monster, and he's going to, he's going to hit somebody um, on a kickoff coverage or at some point during camp, and people go, because he hits on people, the kind of people like, turn and kind of like turn away from your neighbor, like, right, in horror almost. Yes, that's the kind of theater Javante Moffat is. So, yes, um, it's a really nice pass. And I'll, I'll, I'll stop. I'll, I'll give you one last guy. Kevin Davidson, in my mind, was 1A amongst the quarterbacks that were at the Shrine game. He's got size. He's got a good arm. He's a uh, smart guy. I mean, do you have to say that when principal smart? I guess you have to. But, um, but, I mean, he's got a lot going for him. He's actually a California kid. My, your friend of mine, Donovan, actually uh, put me on to him back when he was still in high school. And everyone was kind of surprised because he's the kind of guy that could have very easily ended up at a place like San Jose State or Fresno or whatever. But I think he wanted an Ivy League education. But he's a legitimate quarterback. He's He's got a little mixed holes to him. If you want to sort of run an idea of sort of what his skill set is like, a little bit of that to him, maybe a little bit more athletic. But, you know, decent athlete, good size, not a cannon, but a definitely an above-average arm. And so, once again, just because the numbers, he might not make your team, but he's got a guy I might try to park on the practice squad. Bill, Josh, I, Josh gave, me, gave me hell when I said uh, Kevin Davidson was smart. <laughs> uh, like the last couple of weeks yeah. when we have, we've been talking about him, but I, I so I'm glad I'm not the only one that's brought up that attribute well, of his, but see, Bill had more things to say, Adam. I said, Hey Adam, what do you think about Kevin Davidson? He goes, well, he's smart. And then that was it. That was, that was the end of the analysis. The bonus is you bring him on your team and then he also does your taxes or give you right. taxes. But, but, but yeah, he's he's legitimate though. I mean, he is a legit. He may not once again just because of the numbers and but somebody's going to get this kid if you guys don't have room for him and he's going to eventually push somebody's number two and maybe become somebody's number two somewhere. Yeah, that's uh, and I'm I'm really I'm really happy you brought up George Obina there off off the bat because he's somebody I've been screaming about on this podcast um, for the past three weeks or so, just extremely productive at Sacramento State. That's what I I, I was kind of my argument for these some of these small school guys is if it, you know I, I'm willing to take a shot on some of these guys that are super productive at the at a small school level, and he certainly was that at Sacramento State. Well, Bill didn't he, not only did he mention him first, but he compared him to a T Sizzle. Right, so that was a that was quite the compliment there, Bill. Oh, now once again, you may or may not remember this, but there was a lot of concern about Torres because of his testing. He ran a four eight eight. None of his testing was what people wanted, right? The only thing he did two things, average or above average, 
and everything else was bad. <laughs> so, so people were super worried. But they, once again, what's the, the term kids like to use nowadays? How does he win? They forgot to look at how he wins. He's not a bendy guy. He's not a super fast guy. He's a guy that has two really good first steps and then manhandles you, right? You don't have to be a freak athlete if you can go against someone that outweighs you by 75 pounds but still overpower them. Now, admittedly, that you don't want to, you don't want to bet on that too often, right? Outliers are outliers for a reason. But some guys, you look at what they do and how they do it, and even if it isn't the way you think it should look, if they keep winning all the time, maybe you should trust it. So is that if you had to put money on one guy to make to be an impact player from this group of 15, where would your money go? Well, that's tough because I love both Moffitt and Abina, but just because – I'm going to say you, you don't really have somebody like Moffitt while you have guys like Obina. So I think the numbers favor a guy like Moffitt. Okay. You don't really have that, oh, my God, this guy terrifies me, safety type, patrolling, you know, your secondary. That makes sense. Yeah, we just talked it last week about the safety depth at, uh, in Cleveland. That's certainly something that where, yeah, there's, there's certainly room in that, in that safety room. Yeah, and Cleveland fans are kind of – I guess we can we can ask you about this to kind of break the tie. A lot of Cleveland fans are kind of cut down the middle. Some view it as a very strong position group. Adam would be on that side of the fence, and I, I viewed safety as one of the weaker positions uh, in Cleveland. Where, where do you stand on that, Bill? Well, and this is funny because for a long time, people sort of looked at the, NF, the, looked at the safety position as like the Raiders steps out on the defense. But every single good defense in the NFL has – really good safety play. You can't hide your safeties anymore, people. That's, that's dead. That's gone. The days where you can hide your safeties, your safeties being okay or below average, those days are so gone. The NFL has said, if your safeties aren't good, and nothing's good but athletic, let me just also make clear, that's just like, you know, good between the ears, but they have to also be able to move. If your safeties are not smart and athletic, your defense will suffer. So, I still think you could upgrade the safety position. That's, if that's what you're asking me, yes. I'm saying yes, that you could afford to upgrade, make some, some additions to the safety spot. And since it was a position, obviously, you addressed in the draft, I mean, Grant Gilbert was the second clear pick by, by the Browns, it appears the Browns also believe they could be <laughs> upgrade in the safety. safety. A lot of people see him as the cherry on top. They're looking at him and Carl Joseph, and they're getting in a J. I'm, I'm sorry, the uh, the the safety from that Florida uh, Florida Tech. Oh my gosh, I can't remember his name. Harrell, JT Harrell. Yes. 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 And they're 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 getting real excited. And obviously Andrew Sandejo. And I get it. I totally get it. But there's a re. I mean Andrew Sandejo's north of thirty. Uh, you know Grant Delpit's a rookie. Carl Joseph. You know there's a reason the Raiders let him walk because of the injury issues and. You know, Harold. There's a reason he went undrafted. So I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm, I'm definitely on your side there. Well, and once again, I'm as big an, an, an as a Dale fan as you're ever going to find. But even at his best, he was a guy that was sort of getting away with it. If you know what I mean? Oh He's yeah. Exactly the kind of guy that's going to have trouble playing in this league soon, even at his peak, because being in space and covering people man to man was never his thing, right? He was right. he was a very special teamer at first, and he was a guy that worked his way into being able to be a spot starter, really. I mean, he was, he's exactly, to put it in perspective, remember Billy Volek? Billy Volek was, was a, a backup with the Chargers? 
Oh my gosh, yeah. Okay. That's basically the quarterback version of, 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 of Mr. Zendale, in that <laughs> it, it, if, he, if he plays a certain amount, you know he's solid, right? He's, he knows his assignments. He, he really thinks the game at a high level. He's a tough guy. He, he gets it. But you don't want him out there too much because at some point he'll get exposed. You don't want, to, you want Billy Belek starting for you for half a season. Right. Well, and people forget too. Sandehu was bounced from the NFL. He was out of the league for like two years because he went to the, uh, the, I think it was the United Football League and played for like the Sacramento yep. Mountain Lions. So I mean, people yeah. do forget that. Well done. That's exactly where he was. You, <laughs> hey, sir. Hey, look at that. You, you, sir. Hopefully, you still have your UFL credentials because it's it all lies again. No, I'm, I'm half joking. At least half. Uh, I know at some point we're going to talk XFL, so if I practice talking about alternate football leagues. But, oh, I love it. Right. But the days when you could, like I said, sort of park guys at safety because you liked them or because, you know, you know, even because, you know, they had something that you liked, but they couldn't do everything, you know, well enough, really, but you could, you know, sort of hide certain things. Those days are just gone. Just gone. Those, you have to have safeties that can cover. You have to have safeties that can and sometimes, you know, pick up slot receivers and tight ends, and tight ends are basing slot receivers, just bigger ones nowadays practically, and go with them. Sometimes all the way up the scene. You know, the days of just sort of papering over the position and, you know, thinking it'll be all right, completely gone. You need to have really three starters at safety, right? Because one of your safeties is kind of a linebacker anyways nowadays, right? So that's probably going to be Jamonte Moffitt. He's that guy who's sort of a hybrid. And the other safeties have to be, you know, coverage guys nowadays. You you have to have a couple of safeties that flat out really cover, basically almost like cornerbacks. Right, and I would agree with that. I think I think most people would. Um, but let, let me ask you one more question about the undrafted free agents, then we'll, then we'll move on. Benny, You mentioned Benny yep. LeMay as one of your top guys, and I like Benny LeMay too. We talked about him numerous times on Donovan's podcast during the season. Um, but the Browns also signed backup running back from Georgia, Brian Herrion, who I actually I watched some of his film recently, and I think he's a lot better than Benny LeMay, and he just didn't get the reps. What are you seeing with that? Do you agree with that? Do you disagree? I, here's what I'll say. I don't know if he's better than Benny LeMay. I think he's for one, you know, obviously he's at a bigger school, so we all sort of do that math in our heads saying, well, if he's, you know, a fourth string or third string running back in Georgia, isn't that equivalent to being a really good running back in Conference USA? That's a dangerous <laughs> line of thinking in my mind. Here's what I can tell you. We've never seen, um, since he was like a high school, Brian Herrian do it in terms of, hey, here's 20-something touches go carry the running game. So it's easy to speculate that he could do it, but I like people showing me. <laughs> so if I see Brian Marion bumping up in the preseason, just dominating, then yes, I think you, you might be on the right path. I, I think both of them will end up being rotational sort of, you know, into the roster type guys. And, and LeMay is who I really, really like is just because he lacks speed. He just can't, you know, he's one of the guys, you, if you block everybody, as a pro level, he'll get you eight, nine yards. Because you, if you block everybody, if you kill them, you know, and I think Harrion's you know, a little, you know, I think he has a little better ability to get, to get more yardage in that way. But what I don't think he has, he, or he's not demonstrated, is the same sort of vision and durability. 
that you have, and, and just sheer toughness. Now, once again, you could say you didn't have a chance to show it, but we'll we'll see. You know, Patrick Gage, the guy's toughness is getting, he's getting seven, eight carries. Yeah, and that, that's fair. And actually, when I was looking at his stats, the he, the most carries he got in his collegiate career was as a sophomore against Tennessee when he got 15 touches. Um, and, you know, like I wrote down in the scouting report that I believe he has good hands. But, I mean, to be honest with you, I'm viewing that off of that one-handed catch he had against Florida. There's really nothing left to look at. So I, I totally see what you're saying there. There's just not a lot there. Yeah, and once again, I don't, I don't, I don't like to assume guys can do stuff. I like – I have to see them do it. Right, and that's fair. So we talked about Grant Delpit. So I'm going to ask you this. What was your favorite draft pick that the Browns made? Yeah, that's him, Grant Delpit. I, I think <laughs> that people I think that people forget to sort of account for the fact that he played most of last year hurt. And sure. if you go back and look at him when he was 100% healthy, he was – I think if he stayed healthy, he would have been the fight for the first uh, first uh, safety off the board. The only reason that he fell down was, was – Playing hurt, and it's funny because it's one of those catch twenty two deals, right? I mean, if a kid doesn't play hurt, we knock him for you know durability, toughness, blah blah blah. Then when a kid goes out and plays hurt but doesn't play as well as they would have played, we we downgrade him. So you know, there's no winning. Absolutely, and I I actually honestly I agree with you. We talked about that, Adam, and I talked about that pre draft. I still had Delpit as my number one safety, and I still had him as a top fifteen prospect because I just refused to ding him. So I'm right there with you. I am a bit surprised because I thought I kind of thought you'd say uh like uh, Nick Harris was a guy that I really liked. I kind of thought you might bring him up. What did you think about the Nick Harris pick? Oh, I, I like Nick Harris. It's fine. I just think that. I think that we're going to look back historically, like years from now, and say, man, I can't believe we got Brand Delpit in the second round. That feels that pretty good. I think that's going to be the one where you, you sort of hang your hat on later. Man, man, it's like steal it. You know? So, yes, I really like Nick Harris, and I think he's going to eventually, you know, I think he's going to be a rotational sort of backup, you know, guy that plays three, two or three different positions and then eventually becomes a starter. I think that in Delpit's a guy who might, you know, being all pro at some point. So that's the reason I mentioned Delta over 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 Harris. I and that that's that's a good point. Um, who do you think was the worst Browns draft pick? Um, okay, well I hate to hate to be negative, but okay, since we're here now. <laughs> um, uh, and I know that people are, are not gonna gonna love this because I, I, I think I'm just gonna bite the bullet. Harrison Bryant is not going to be bad, right? Let me just make that clear. I don't think he's going to be terrible or bad or awful or anything like that. But I think he's going to be exposed a little bit. And I think at some point you're going to be drafting another tight end. I think he's going to be okay on the move and doing certain things. I think he's always going to struggle with the physical side of the game. And I don't think he's quite as athletic as people might think he is. I think he's an okay athlete. Don't get me wrong. But if you think you're getting one of those guys that just, you know, runs away from people and makes a lot of big plays, I think he's not going to be that. I think you you essentially got a, like, smaller, weaker version of Cameron Brake, which isn't a terrible thing. I mean, that's not – that's still a guy you kind of like to have, but I don't think he's going to be a stud. And it's not a terrible pick because, you, you know, it's not like you got – you didn't think, you know, this, this a lot into him. Um, you know, you got him what one hundred and fifteenth overall, I guess. So that's, I mean, that's a, it's not a terrible pick. But there were a lot of good players still on the board. I guess is the only thing I would say. And I, I don't know. 
I feel like this is a tight end class where it would have been a good idea just to not take it. <laughs> and I hate to say that, but this is just a tight end class. Where I think very few of the tight ends taking the class will even become starters. Wow. And I, I think I remember you saying that on Donovan's podcast a couple months back. So that, that analysis makes sense. Um, you know, you're not the only person I've heard. Like he, he really, like you said, he, his lack of physicalness really stood out on tape. So that doesn't shock me. What did you think about Jacob Phillips? I know Adam and I are a little bit biased here, but we were both absolutely in shock that Malik Harrison was not the guy there. And then Malik Harrison with the very next pick. I mean, do you think that we're just being biased there? Or what is your analysis on that? Probably, probably, probably a little. I mean, you're talking about <laughs> guys that I think most teams – probably. But I think there's guys that most teams have similarly rated. I, I mean, once again, it's not like I'm seeing everybody's draft for it. But I'd be shocked if 20 teams around the league didn't have those guys within a few picks, a few you know numbers of each other on their boards. I think a lot of teams have those guys rated similarly. And I'm guessing for what the Browns – want this guy fit the bill a little closer. Uh, obviously, their fans would have preferred if they'd gone after Malik Harrison. But, you know, once again, if you start running your draft based on what the fans want, terrible things happen. <laughs> that's true. That, that's, that is a fair point. All right, well, so let, let's, move, let's move on. Uh, we, we talked about – we actually, we talked about the UFL already. Uh, but while we're on the subject of alternative football, what, do you, what are your thoughts about the XFL? We, we've, Adam and I have kind of gone, I feel like, a pretty – a little bit in-depth, right, how their filing of Chapter 7 is different than the, the AAF filing of Chapter 11. Now it's going up for auction. Yeah. Uh, now we, we've heard rumors that Disney and Fox are going to bid on it and that the XL, XFL may actually be back next year. What, what, do you, what do you think the likelihood of that is with that – do you think a league like that can last? What are your thoughts? I, I'd go 40-60. 40, yes. 60, no. Um, obviously, first of all, nobody exactly knows the future of what will happen with sports, period. And so it was obviously not a great time to launch a new league. They didn't know that at the time. No one knew that at the time. But like, the timing almost literally could not have been worse. Like, you Wow, right? Oh, you yeah. can't have lots of people in one place at one time? Oh, fantastic. That's, oh, that's, that's you know, what's the, what's the, the little the meme with that's screaming internally? So you, you suddenly have this, it's a great opportunity, right? Because it was all coming together. They were, you know, starting to get people, you know, in, really interested. You're getting some cool storylines, some, some good players that found their way into the league. You know, it was all starting to happen, and then it all didn't happen. It all stopped. Uh, so, you know, all that momentum just came to a, a, a slamming, screeching halt. Vince uh, McMahon is a fascinating individual with some <laughs> really interesting ideas about some of everything, including how to run a business. And at sometimes, you know, despite the fact that some of his methods may seem um, unsound even, or at least unconventional, he wins more than he loses, at least most of the time, you know, financially speaking. So I think there's a viable entity to be had there. But, and these are the big butts that every single alternate league since the original AFL have not managed to surmount. One, you have to find a way to bind people to your team. Start building what we would call brand loyalty, right, in, in, in other fields. You've got to do that. You've got to do it quickly. You don't have a lot of time anymore, right? It's not the 1960s anymore where people will give something three or four years to see if it catches on. 
No, you get one year, really, nowadays. So the XFL was headed in the right direction. If somebody's willing, one, to dump a lot of money into it, not knowing if they'll ever see that money again. And some companies can do that, right? Some, there are industries and places and things, but, it, you know, the amount of money it would take to run that league would not bother them, right? It would be, it would be, they'll be fine without that money, even if all those, they'll still be okay. But they have to decide that, right? They have to go in realizing we may receive this money again. Some people, even when they have a lot of money, they got to have a lot of money but being careful with money, right? That's how rich people get rich very often. So, one, they have to be willing to lose all of it, right? So that's, that's what take one. Two, they need to be really smart. This is about marketing. You have to be really smart about marketing. So how are you different from the NFL, but how are you, how are you not too different from the NFL? It's, it's a, it really is a, a real tightrope act. Because if you're not different from the NFL, then why am I watching a slightly worse version of the NFL, right? How do you – that was the AAF's problem. Why am I watching a slightly worse version of the NFL, mm. right? So that was a real issue. Like what – I mean, I watched it because well, I'm a junkie, right? I watch, you know, if, literally if they had a, a, a football league of nine-year-olds, I would be watching it. <laughs> Welcome to the Schoolyard Football League. You know, so yes, I would watch that. All these kids named Shaquille and Kobe and LeBron. I'd watch those kids. Um, I would. I'm not going to lie. I would, if they had nine-year-olds watching football on TV, I promise you, I would soon be scouting those little fuckers. Uh, <laughs> it was like you do for a growth spurt. So, so yeah. Um, he's so coordinated. But, yeah, so that's, 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 that's the first thing, right? You need somebody who's going to dump a buttload of money into it, knowing they may never see it again. Two, they need to be really smart about marketing. And, yes, they need to find... I don't know why they keep going into certain markets and not – there are certain markets where I know people are so hungry for football they would slip, including my, including my hometown area, right? If they put a team in Norfolk, Virginia, that team would kill, right? If they put a team – like, I, I think they're, they're so beholden. They keep thinking they have to be in the biggest of the biggest of the markets, and I think that's one of their mistakes. They'll put a team in Los Angeles. The NFL has trouble getting teams in Los Angeles to, to survive. What are you doing? You know, put a team in Bakersfield or whatever. Like, put a team where people will attach to it, where people want football that have been deprived of it, as opposed to, oh, look, we get another team. They'll put another team in the New York market. They'll put another team in the Los Angeles market. Stop it. Stop that. And one thing they, that some of the leagues have done that I think is smart is territorial draft, Right. So the team you put in Central Ohio should get kids from Cincinnati and kids from, you know, from you know Ohio State and you know some of the smaller schools in Ohio. Duh. I mean, like, I mean, I just think that that's a no-brainer. Some leagues have done that, so I think that's another thing that you. I don't think you have to do it, but I would advise doing it, doing a territorial draft, so that it helps with that attachment. And like I said, I think you should aim more mid-market than make than the biggest markets because. It's no excitement or novelty to the people of Washington, D.C. or whatever to go to a football game. <laughs> like, they've had pro football there since the 1930s. Go someplace where people have been, dude, San Antonio, everybody goes to San Antonio. Why? Because people in San Antonio have been, they, they have been wanting a pro football team forever. They really want an NFL team, so they really want, but they'll take what they can get. Uh, and then, yeah, St. Louis, right? That makes probably good sense. But, yeah, so I would, that's the other thing I think we need to do. Get the mid-markets in hard. Yeah, I was actually in St. Louis last month, and 
I mean, there was just bumper stickers everywhere of the Battle Hawks. I was completely shocked. People yeah. were wearing Battle Hawks jerseys and hats, and I was right. shocked. I was absolutely shocked. Dude, if you were to have, like, an event where people got to meet and greet the Battle Hawks, this now, today, there'd be 17, 18,000 people. Even if you charge, I don't know, 10 bucks a ticket, you'd sell those tickets in no time. So for a meet and greet and signing and whatever. Yeah, they, he actually, uh, my buddy was telling me Jordan Tayamu actually had a signing for 20 bucks a pop at like a local Dick Sporting Goods. And he said the line was out the door. It was like a three hour line. So, I mean, you're, you're, that goes to your point that it's possible. And, uh, Lewis is Battlehawks country, baby. <laughs> <laughs> and for the record, uh, if anybody's interested, all the XFL stuff on dicks.com is like 75% off. So I went out and spent $150 and got my MVP Jay Walker shirt. So I'm pretty there psyched. You go. There you <laughs> Amongst go. other things. But uh, I, so I, I do, I have two more questions for you. Uh, I do want to okay. ask you your expectations for the Cleveland Browns. I, I feel like I have to ask that because it is a Browns podcast. What do you think, what yeah. are your expectations for the Cleveland Browns? An unbiased opinion. Unbiased opinion. Down to my head, nine and seven. Um, and obviously I could see it going a game or two above or a game or two below. But I'll be somewhat shocked if they are not a winning team this year. I will. I'll be so much shocked. I think that, one, if you just – if you did a blind taste test, right, where you didn't put names on the team, you just showed people the rosters, I think any unbiased analyst out there would say, man, this team looks good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you just did, you stripped away all the labels and all that stuff and all the history and all the jokes and everything else, and you said, just mm-hmm. look at this roster, Right? How would you go less than nine and seven, right? I mean, maybe eight and eight if you were trying to be conservative, but this looks like a really good roster. And I'll be honest, and since I am being unbiased, I think I think Pittsburgh is still a little bit lost in the woods. Uh, obviously, the Ravens will continue to be the Ravens. They're one of those. I think they're one of those sort of pencil them in to be good for a while franchises. Sorry, my fellow Steelers fans or anyone else who has to you know, watch what the Ravens are going to continue. They have a way of doing things, right? They're one of those franchises that has a way of doing things, and they're going to do that thing, right? So, ooh, that works. In case you like, for those, you know, newsflash, the Ravens have a system that it works, uh, which is sort of a subset of the Patriot system, though obviously they do it a different way, but they have a lot of the same principles at heart, and it shows. You know, and, uh, you know, Cincinnati, I think, will be, picking early again next year. So the Browns have a legitimate chance to be, I think, to be the second best team, you know, in, in the, in the AFC North. I feel like that's fair. I, I guess I get a little gun shy because we, a lot of people were saying that last year and we had a first year head coach. Well, we're, re, we're restarting it all over again. I know we went the opposite direction with the hiring process yeah. this time. You know, we went from, you know, the ultra football guy and Freddie kitchens to, you know, this, Ivy League statistician and Kevin Stefanski, but it still has me a little gun shy. Does that make sense? Well, let me put it this way. Kevin Stefanski spends more on beard wax than your last coach spent on all of his wardrobe. <laughs> so, so you've got a different kind of cat than you had before. That That's that's fair. I guess I could take comfort in that. <laughs> but All right. Well, well, let me ask you one more question, then we'll let you go. 
So I, okay. there's a lot of well, there's a lot of Ohio State fans that listen to the show, okay? And we talk about a lot. Adam and I talk about like memorabilia and stuff every now and again. And I recently bought a Vinnie Clark autograph on eBay, okay? <laughs> and now most Buckeye fans, you want a bargain? Yeah. <laughs> so most Buckeye fans will remember Vinnie Clark. He was the first round draft pick to the Green Bay Packers in 1991. Led the Big Ten in 1990 with nine interceptions. He had a very underwhelming career, I guess you'd say. Was with the Packers for a couple of years, the uh, the the Jaguars a couple of years, the Falcons a couple of years. I don't think he was ever actually like. Uh, I think he started like two years. Bill, why did he suck? Okay, here's what I'll say, and and, and I think we saw maybe he's short, but he was a guy <laughs> that had two things. Two things. One, he was part of a a dominant defense, and that always I mean once again, rising tide lifts all boats. And a lot of things were set up for him, I think is the way I put it. He was part of a a system, right, that allowed him to see it all happening, right? He could see the ball leaving the quarterback's hands and put himself in positions, which is why he has so many exceptions, to to make plays on the ball. He knew if he didn't get there, they had a, a pretty darn good bunch of guys over the top to help. And I think... It's like asking, gosh, why does Josh Norman so good but why does he suck now? Systems matter, people. I mean, that's the guy, I want to, if, some, if for some reason people didn't know this before, particularly, I think the positions where system matters most, I would say in this order, quarterback, wide receiver, defensive back. And it's really close between wide receiver and defensive back. If you ask certain corners to play a certain way, they can be literally all pros. And you have them play a different way, they'll be out of the league in two years. And obviously the most easy one to bring up is Nami Asimov. Nami Asimov was the yeah. best corner in football for about three years. And then he went into a situation where he looked like he had no idea how to play defensive back. He looked utterly lost. I mean, lost. I'm not even joking. I'm not, I'm not saying he looked bad. I'm saying he looked lost, right? We just saw Xavier Rhodes, and this is when they made little – this is when someone changing their defense entirely. This is them making basically – it's like substituting sage for time, basically, in the, in the recipe, right, and with, with the Vikings. They made incremental, small changes in the techniques and things they were doing on defense. And we saw Xavier Rose, the only guy that some people were saying was in the conversation with the best corner in football, to a guy that could not hold on to his job in, in Minnesota. It is – you just how close my fingers are together, but – Cornerback in the NFL is a position literally of, it's not about the game of inches, it's a game of fractions of inches. The fractions of inches between here and here make a quarterback think, I should throw the ball there versus I shouldn't throw the ball there. A lot of guys get balls completed on them, not because they're not good, but because guys feel like they can get the ball there, which is why you talk about all the confidence and cockiness at the corner position. I tell you, safety. I, I hung out with corners. And I started to see the cultural difference between the two, right? The corners are like fighter pilots, right? They're like thoracic surgeons. They're like these guys that live on the, the, the razor's edge all the time, right? They're motorcycle racers. I mean, name whoever you want to name, right? And they have to believe that they've got this. And as soon as your confidence gets dented, and being in the wrong scheme will dip your confidence even before you take the field. So... You had a guy who I think would have probably been much better off, one, in a 
you know, if you played in like a, a system like the Seattle Seahawks run, one where you could have seen everything, you could see everything. Two, he was a big, strong corner who wasn't super flexible. You know, he, he was a, a guy that couldn't always turn and burn with the best of them. He was good going forward. It wasn't like he, like he was even slow. He just wasn't a guy that could, was super good at changing direction, right? He wasn't great at changing direction. He could go pretty fast in a straight line. Uh, so that Trey Wayne's, but much bigger. He was a 203, 204-pound corner, which is a you know, big corner. So he was a big, strong guy and a pretty good tackler even, but, but when he had to stay with guys who could change direction really quickly in a short amount of time and he didn't have help, he got exposed and exposed quickly. That's sort of the, I would say, the main thing that happened with Vinnie Clark. Wow. See, and you don't think about that, right? Because, well, first of all, that's a that's a little bit tad before my time. But I mean, you know, when you're looking at and you see a guy being a first round, we're not used to that now because typically your Ohio State defensive backs are drafted in the first round. They're all fairly successful. I mean, the biggest flop has been Eli Apple the last couple of years, and everybody pretty much attributes that to his mom. So it, it's kind of interesting well, to look at. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some other stuff going on with him. But yeah, his mom was still a part of it. I, here's what I will say, and like I said, I think. I think people fall in love with sometimes all the wrong things with the corners. It's easy to fall in love with certain things, but to be a successful NFL corner, especially if you're on a team that puts you on, on the island a lot, you, you one have to be, you have to be a really, really good athlete. and not just running a straight line, right? You have to be actually athletic, flexible, quick, nimble, great balance. I think balance, if, I, if you said, say, name one thing that people don't put enough value on at the cornerback, it is balance. A otherwise terrific corner, but he's got size, he's got speed, all this stuff, but lacks good balance. Can, he might have been great before, but when he gets the NFL, he'll be average at best. And I'll take everything to keep him at average level. Like everything has to be there if you don't have great balance. So whenever I see guys who don't have terrific balance, even if they have all the other stuff, I, I automatically get concerned. So I would say when you're, when you're evaluating corners, my advice is push balance up a little further up on your on your on your matrix because you'll miss less. Well, that's that's good advice, and I I, I, I that was fun. I really for now on, whenever I talk to you on a podcast or whenever we bring you on, and Adam and I'll try to have a better effort bringing you on more often. I'm going to bring up one random Buckeye from the past and have <laughs> you break down their career. It's 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 good info. It's good info, Adam. I actually. Uh, I'd done this before. It was through text where I went to go see Jan White. And Jan White was another former Buckeye who was a first-round pick at tight end in like the 70s. So I messaged oh Bill and immediately, boom, texted me back, tell me why he sucked, why he didn't make it. It's a good exercise. He knows it all, man. He knows it all. Uh, I can't wait till, till we get to break down Butler by no trade next time. <laughs> you, know what, you know what's funny? I just bought his uh, his signed XFL New York New Jersey Hitman card. Literally, <laughs> literally came in the mail today. Gosh, someday you need to open like a museum. That's <laughs> that's Keatley's Hall of Not Very Good. I can't wait to go. Just oh man, yeah, you got you got to see some of these autographs. I'm talking like BJ Bari from the the Columbus Destroyers. Um, Pepe Pearson. I got a Pepe Pearson Ryan Fire autograph card. Well, I, okay, he wasn't a scrub. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah okay, I remember it quite. There. Okay, all right. Yeah. So it's not okay. I really do. Like someday you really must. Even if you just 
do it a couple of times a year. You need to open this because the public is missing out. Uh, they you are, need to be able to, to, to take a, a, a nice short and somewhat disappointing walk down memory lane into some of the things <laughs> that you have. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, Bill, I appreciate you coming on, man. Like I said, we'll have to we'll have to make it a more of an effort to bring you on more often. You want to tell everybody where they can fo- follow you, find your work? Sure. So, um, in the next hopefully day or two, I will have my top fifty Division Two and top fifty uh, FCS players. Once again, not in like a strict order, just my top fifty. I'll figure out order later. Uh, should be up soon. Um, my writing shows up on places like Nothing Bolt Sports, sometimes the NFL Draft Bible, and I have something new I'm cooking up, so I may have a, because who doesn't need more things to do, but I may have a third content providing agreement coming up soon, so I'll make that, a, that announcement official probably the next couple of days. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at one of my two Twitter feeds, either at 11 Bravo, that's 11, E-L-E-V-E-N, the word, not the number, E-L-E-V-E-N-B-R-A-D-O, 138, or at 11, no, that's the person, Bill, or at B-Carol, that's capital B, capital C, A-double-R-O-double-L-138, that's at B-Carol, 138. It always, as always, is a pleasure. Um, here's what I will say about Stephen Brown fans. Lots of people can say they walk the walk and talk, whatever, whatever, but the, I've had the opportunity for 40-something years Watch Cleveland Browns fans have everything happen to them, right? I mean, literally everything happened to them. I have no, there's no fan base I have more respect for than Cleveland Browns fans because you have this boundless ability to recover. I, I can tell you that a lot of, I can't think of another fan base that would stick and stay through everything, right? I mean, literally, your franchise leaves. I mean, the St. Louis fans, right, they love, they love the Battlehawks. But they're kind of meh on the NFL if you talk to them. I mean, I mean, they wouldn't turn down a franchise, but they're not beating down the doors of 30 Park Avenue demanding an NFL franchise back, right? The Browns fans were, you know, were a whole other, whole other animal. Like, the NFL knew if they didn't fill that void, there'd be trouble. So hats off to Browns fans, man. I don't know if there's better fans of any sport anywhere. Well, we do appreciate it. We we, we appreciate all the pity we can get, Bill. <laughs> but the, <laughs> thanks for coming on. Now, that's Adam, a t-shirt. That's a t-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Adam, you want to tell everybody they can follow you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, more2102. All right, I'm your host. Josh Keatley. You can follow me on Twitter at Josh Keatley 16 Please reach out to us, uh, rate us, review us, reach out to us on Facebook. All right, we're out. When others treat your fries as an afterthought, all you're left with are cold, soggy fries. That's why Wendy's new fries are ones you won't forget. Guaranteed to be hot and crispy or we'll replace them. We're talking natural cut skin on fries, perfectly seasoned with a hint of sea salt. In fact, they're even preferred almost two to one over McDonald's. These are fries so hot and crispy, they beg a new question. What would you like with your fries? Try them today. Only at Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's, taste preference based on a national taste test by an independent research company. When others treat your fries as an afterthought, all you're left with are cold, soggy fries. That's why Wendy's new fries are ones you won't forget. Guaranteed to be hot and crispy or we'll replace them. We're talking natural cut skin on fries, perfectly seasoned with a hint of sea salt. In fact, they're even preferred almost two to one over McDonald's. These are fries so hot and crispy, they beg a new question. 
What would you like with your fries? Try them today. Only at Wendy's. At participating U.S. Wendy's. Taste preference based on a national taste test by an independent research company. 